this is the first time I've ever preached in South Dakota. So this is a, I've been through here a couple of times, but never preached here. And so it's been a blessing to be here, and I thank you, Pastor, for the privilege and the opportunity to preach today. Man, this looks great. This is good. And I say praise the Lord for what God is doing to your pastor, because God always uses a man. He always uses a man, but He has to have people that are following that man. And the man's not perfect, I'm not perfect, but God always uses a man. And so I'm thankful for what God has done through Pastor Yoder here at the Bible Baptist Church. And just one other thing, and then I'll get to preaching. I just want to say thank you uh, to this church. I believe you support Heartland Basketball College. We, we appreciate that. We do. And I know Tim is there, and we're trying to take good care of him and, and uh, help him to be everything God wants him to be. But I just want to say thank you to this church because it helps Heartland be one of the most affordable independent Baptist colleges in America because we have good churches like this that help support us on a monthly basis. And I just want to say thank you for being involved in that. Well, I want to invite you to take your Bible this morning and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And uh, I, I am thankful the Lord's going to let me preach one of my favorite subjects today, the rapture. And uh, the rapture is the next event on the prophetic calendar. We are not waiting for any more signs. There is nothing left that needs to be fulfilled. Uh, we're waiting for a trumpet to sound and a voice to say, come up hither. And all of a sudden, millions of people are going to disappear from planet Earth. And so I want to talk about what that is and what the Bible says about it. Now, everybody's got their opinion about what it is. But what does the Bible say about it? And I'm going to do my dead-level best to try to show you from the Word of God. So if you're able to stand with me, if you'd stand with me in honor of the Word of God, if you're not, just remain seated this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And I want to begin reading verse number 13 this morning. The Apostle Paul says, but I would not have you to be ignorant. Yes. Oh, go right ahead. That's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll let him get out. And, uh, and I don't know what's going on. I just follow directions. So it's fine with me. <laughs> That's okay. You're not bothering me a bit. And we want the children to get to where they need to be. All right. Let's start again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13, Paul says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with Him. Now notice this, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be, here it is, caught up. That's the rapture. The word rapture is not found in any English translation that I know of, but the concept is right there. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord and would you notice verse number 18, because it's tied to this. Wherefore, because of everything that Paul has just stated, comfort one another with these words. Father, thank you this morning for the Word of God. And I pray now that your Holy Spirit would fill me and speak through me. I thank you for each individual that's come and assembled here this morning in this place. And you know our hearts, and you know our minds, and you know all that we're going through. And so I'm asking today 
that if there's someone here in this service that's not saved, they don't have any hope of eternal life. They have no hope of a place called heaven. They don't know that. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, do what only you can do and bring conviction and show them they need Jesus Christ to be their personal Savior? But Lord, I pray for your people this morning that you would use this passage maybe to be a comfort to someone today that maybe is really discouraged, but maybe for others to be a rebuke because they really just don't care what's going on. So would you do whatever you want to do? And bless in this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you. may be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the Word of God this morning. December the 31st, 1995. Now that may not mean a lot to a whole lot of people here, but here's what happened on that date. A new book was released that, become, that became a runaway bestseller. And it produced 15 more volumes. It eventually sold more than 65 million copies. They actually made a movie out of it called Left Behind. Maybe you've heard of it. Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins were the authors of that book and they both stated that the inspiration for that particular series was a movie that was made 50 years ago called A Thief in the Night. And The Thief in the Night was basically a, a low-budget Christian film to show what might happen to planet Earth when the rapture takes place. Uh, but I would submit to you about this this morning, that the study of the end times, I would say, is a passion of many of God's people even today. But unfortunately, and here's the real unfortunate thing, many believers, uh, when they, they get so caught up in the study of the end time events, that they ignore the basic principles of spiritual growth and evangelism that the rapture was designed to enhance in our life. Because it's, it, it's you know, we, we need to have our theological ducks in a row about the rapture, but just not for up here, but to so we can tell people, hey, Jesus is coming again, and you need to be right, and you need to be prepared. It's not so that we'll have all this knowledge. We need to do something with this knowledge in our mind. But I would even submit this to you today, that even unbelievers have a curiosity, maybe an insatiable curiosity, about the future. Brother Rocky, do you, do you really think that's so? Uh-huh. You know why I think that's so? Because every major newspaper in this country carries a horoscope. What is a horoscope? That's something the devil uses to get people away from the Word of God so they can think they can know what their future is. I'm here to tell you, horoscopes are not going to help you figure out what the future is going to bring. Stock speculators aren't going to help you about the future. The farmer's almanac, it, it can't tell you everything's going to happen. Nostradamus can't tell you everything's going to happen. These are people out here that are predicting the, uh, uh, predicting the future. And ladies and gentlemen, even with all the technological advancements that we have in our society, there are some things we just don't know. We don't know. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm not for sure that the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Oh, the sun's always come up. I know, but I'll tell you, I don't, have, I don't know that for certain, but here's something I do know for certain. Jesus is coming back. And I got more faith that Jesus Christ is coming back in the rapture than I do that sun will come up tomorrow. You say, that's weird. No, I just believe the Bible's the Word of God. And I believe Jesus said, I'm going to go and I'm going to come again and I'm going to receive you unto myself, myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, I do want to say this. 
Anything we know about the future, we know from the Bible, because the Bible does paint a very specific, and I would say a very clear picture, of what the future is going to hold. Now, it doesn't tell us every little detail. There's a lot of things I'd like to know the Bible doesn't tell us about. But it gives us enough glimpse and it tells us enough to know that there are some things that are coming to planet Earth that people ought to be thinking about and ought to be ready when it takes place here in the future. Now let me remind you of this in the context here. Paul is writing to believers at Thessalonica. I believe, and many other people believe, that this is one of the earliest books that the Apostle Paul wrote under divine inspiration. And so these Christians had been saved for just a few months. They hadn't been saved that long in their life. And Paul had taught them about what we would call and what we're going to talk about here in time events. But now these believers were struggling with how to reconcile their understanding of the events that Paul taught about the rapture and the people that had already passed away. And they were thinking, oh no, these people are going to miss the rapture. These people, they're going to be second class Christians, if I can use that terminology here. And the Apostle Paul says, oh no, no, no. That is not the case at all. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But not only that, there are also false teachers that were coming in here at this time. And Paul addresses this in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And they were suggesting, you people already in the day of the Lord. You're already in tribulation. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know, these people said if we're in the day of the tribulation, if we're in tribulation, if we're in the day of the Lord, we've missed the rapture. Now let me just connect a dot there for you. These people were smart enough to know they weren't supposed to be in the rapture. Or they weren't supposed to be in the tribulation if they missed the rapture. Because there are people that are around this country, and you can find them on YouTube, you can find them wherever you want to go. Well, Christians are going to go through the tribulation. Now I'll just tell you, help yourself if you want to go, and maybe God will let you go through it if you really want to go through it that bad. I'm not going through it. How do you know that? Because i got the Bible to show me that I am not going to go through a tribulation. It's a blessed hope. It's not something I'm looking forward to. You think Paul could write this and say, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. If they were looking for 666 and Antichrist and somebody cut their heads off during the tribulation, you think that would be comforting? I tell you nay. No. There's not going to be any comfort in that. But there is comfort in knowing Jesus coming for us. Now I know there are people out here in our society, there's a bunch of them anymore, and they kind of downplay the rapture and it's not that big of a deal. But I'm here to tell you that in first century Christianity, the rapture was a big deal. And it was a big deal to the Apostle Paul. And so Paul is writing this passage here under divine inspiration not to answer every question about the rapture. That is not what this passage is about. These people are being shaken. These people have lost confidence here. And so Paul is writing this passage to these Thessalonian believers here, try to help them regain some confidence, to help them know we've got something we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to the coming of the Lord. And so he was, a, he was really trying to alleviate their grief and their confusion and everything that was going on in their life. So just look at this real quick, verse 13. And then I'll get into where we're going to preach here. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Ignorant. All that means is unacquainted with. Now I will tell you, I am very ignorant when it comes to modern day cars. There's a lot of things I don't know about them. I know where, to, I know where you check the oil. I know where you put the gas. I know what the tire pressure is. But everything is computerized today. I am totally unacquainted with the computerized car. 
I'm ignorant of that. That's all the word means. They're unacquainted with. And he said, here's what you're ignorant about. Notice what the Word of God says here in verse 13. Those which are asleep. Sleep in the New Testament always refers to the body, never to the soul. Because Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 18, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm not trying to be weird here, but I remember the first time I went to a funeral, I went and, and they had the casket up front in the church there, and it looked like the person was sleeping. No, they're on the other side. But it looked to me like they were sleeping. Well, that's how death is presented in the New Testament. The, the, the body's there. They're not home. Look up here. I'm not trying to be cute this morning, but maybe it come across that way. I'm just telling you, you're not looking at Rocky Harrell today. You're looking at his spacesuit. Because the real me is inside looking out at you. And one of these days the house is going to stay behind and I'm going on to be with the Lord. But don't forget this. One day the house is going to be resurrected and the soul and the body are going to be reunited. It's called a resurrection. And I'm looking forward to that as a child of God. So that's what he's talking about here. And he said this. Oh, don't miss this. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not even as others which have no Hope. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a normal sorrow that accompanies the death of a loved one. Well, yes, that's true. When someone that's a Christian that you love and they pass away, there is the pain of separation, there is the pain of loneliness, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. That has nothing to do with this context. What he is talking about here, the sorrow that Paul is talking about, is the terrifying hopeless finality that unbelievers go through when someone they know dies without Christ. There's no hope. There's nothing to look forward to. There were two men that died in the year 1899. One of those men was a man by the name of Robert Ingersoll. I believe he died in the summer months of 1899. Robert Ingersoll was what we would call an atheist agnostic he went up and down America talking about the mistakes of the Bible, saying the Bible wasn't the Word of God, all that. Can I tell you, when he died, he died a very lonely man. He died a very, very terrible death. In his death, there was no hope of anything after he died. But there was another man that died in 1899, and he died in the month of December. And his name was D.L. Moody. And when D.L. Moody died, he said, I see earth receded and heaven is coming towards me. And he was looking forward to a place called heaven. I'm here to tell you that if you're saved, you don't have a hole in the ground to look forward to. You've got a place called heaven you're looking forward to. How do you get that? You're saved. I'm going to talk about that here in just a moment. So the Thessalonians experience here uh, and, and all they were going through, Paul, it led Paul to write them about the rapture. And here's what I want you to see today. Paul gave a fourfold description about the rapture here in this passage. And I want you to see this because I think this is a blessing. I think it will be a help to you today. So I want you to notice this first of all here in verse number 14, in verse number 15. And I'm going to say this. Here's the first thing that Paul is going to develop. He is going to give these Thessalonian believers what I call the foundation 
for the rapture. Is there a foundation for the rapture? Well, there sure is. Because this blessed hope of the rapture is not based upon the shifting sands of philosophical speculations out here, nor is religious mythology that somebody came up with. It is not something that's been concocted by well-meaning men to try to help people that are grieving or going through sorrow. No, ladies and gentlemen, the rapture is based on three unshakable truths. Look at it. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died, number one, it's based upon the death, the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's death satisfied the righteous demands of God's holiness and justice because He became a sacrifice for everyone that would ever live on this planet and He paid the full penalty for your sin. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're here this morning and we talked a little bit about this in Sunday school, here's what you need. You need a shepherd. You need a savior. And Jesus Christ, when He died on that cross, on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago, when He died, He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him in a way that I can't even begin to fathom. I don't even understand. Every sin that has ever been committed or that would ever be committed was put on Jesus Christ at one moment. And He became the sin bearer. He became the sacrifice. And He died for you because He loves you. And He allowed men to nail Him to a cross. I said this in Sunday school, it was love that held the Lord Jesus Christ to that cross. But ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand, He died for you because He loves you. And if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you what you need. You don't need a church. You don't need a religion. You don't need a ritual. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ because He's the only one that can save you from your sins. He died for you because He loves you. So not only is it based upon the death of Christ, but notice also there in verse 14, <laughs> He rose again. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, listen to this, it underscores the truth that the Father accepted the sacrifice of His Son on the cross. Would you listen to this? Paul said in Romans chapter 3 and verse number, uh, verse number 26 that, to, that He, to be just, he is just to the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Paul said he was raised again for our justification. So Jesus Christ's resurrection proves that he conquered the grave. That he made an atonement. That it was accepted by God the Father. And their fellow believers, because they are saved, because they have received Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ arose from the, from the dead, can I tell you, they're not going to miss out on the rapture. They're going to be part of it. Not only that, look at this in verse number 15. Not only is it the death of Christ, not only the resurrection of Christ, but you notice in verse 15, I tried to emphasize this, for this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord. This is the revelation of God. Somebody says, what do you mean by that? Well, Paul's teaching about the rapture again is not some kind of a speculation that he came up with here. This is direct revelation from God Himself about what's going to take place in the future. Now you can trust that. You can take it to the bank as my pastor used to say. And understand this, the, ra the, the rapture does not sit on some kind of a shaky foundation of some theological speculation, but it sets on the firm foundation of the revelation of God. There's going to be a rapture. And not because Harold said it, because that's what the Bible says. 
And I have something to base it upon. Not my own thoughts, but God's thoughts. So there is a firm foundation for the rapture. The death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the revelation of God about the rapture. I'm thankful I've got something I can hang on to. Number two, look at verse 15. Mercy, this is good stuff here, because it's Bible. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So I want you to notice this. I want you to notice the participation in the rapture. So would you notice there are two groups of people there in that passage about the rapture. Those which are alive, those which are asleep. Now did you also notice the personal pronoun we? Everybody see that? That indicates that the Apostle Paul believed the rapture would happen in his lifetime. Because Paul wasn't looking forward to a grave or a martyr's death. He really thought the rapture could take place in his lifetime. And ladies and gentlemen, he had a proper anticipation. He had a proper expectation for the Lord's return. But he did not predict a date. He didn't sell everything you got. Go out here, live on a mountain, put a sheet around you. No, he is reassuring these Thessalonian believers here that those who had died are not going to miss out on the rapture, which will include them which are asleep. But notice there's another word there. The living shall not prevent. Prevent's an old English word. And prevent is to go beforehand or to get a head start or to proceed. And the whole point that Paul is making is is that the living are not going to take precedence over those. They're not going to have an advantage over there because he said the dead in Christ shall rise first. Oh, I'm not trying to be cute, but it's going to come out that way. Oh, why are they going to rise first? They've got six more feet to come up. That's all I can come up with. But the point is this, I believe the point that Paul is making is that all believers, whether, they are, whether they're living or whether they've already gone to heaven, they're going to participate in the rapture. Mercy God, I bet. Because I'm looking, I'll just tell you, Time out, just a second. I really believe the Lord's going to come in my lifetime. I'm 55. If I get to live my three score and 10, 70 years, I think in the next 15 years, I really think Jesus is going to come in my lifetime, unless I'm looking for Him to come back. I am. What if He doesn't come back? Then I get to go to heaven. And then I'll get to come back and get my new body. Is everybody with me? I'm just telling you, you can't lose. We're not losers. We are winners, however this works out. All right, so notice that's the participation that he speaks about here. All right, so I like this. Let me get the nuts and bolts of this here because there's some good stuff here that Paul talks about. Notice the expectation concerning the rapture. So what are we to expect when the rapture takes place? Well, Paul tells us right here, laid out for us. Pretty good chronological order. He said, number one, the Lord Himself. Do you understand that Jesus coming back to get His people? He's not sent an angel to do that. Himself, we're going to meet Him. Wait, hang on, hang on, hold on, hold on. He's not coming back to planet earth. We're going to meet Him in the air. He is coming back to planet earth seven years later. He's going to set up a kingdom in Jerusalem. I can't wait for that. Boy, that's going to be a great day. But before that ever takes place, He's going to rapture the believers out of this planet and He's going to take them and He's coming Himself to receive us. Not only that, He's going to descend from heaven. That's where He's been since He ascended back to heaven. Because in Acts chapter 1 verse number 9, the angel said, This same Jesus which is taken up for you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen Him go into heaven. He went up like a He was received by a cloud. He's coming back the same way. Not only that, notice this, it's going to be with a shout. 
Now the word shout is a military word. That's how it would have been used in Paul's day. And the commander would give a shout of command. He would call the troops and guess what they would do? They would all come and they would all fall in line. The dead saints in their resurrected bodies will be raptured with the living. Regardless of if they've gone on before, they're going to get a brand new body. And it's going to be with a shout. What's that going to be like? Well, the only thing I maybe can compare it to is what happened in John chapter 11, verse 43, when Jesus went to the cemetery and said, Lazarus, come forth! And He came out. It's going to be something like that, because we're all going to go up together. I'll talk more about that in just a second, how that's going to work. And then He said, the voice of the archangel is going to sound. He's going to give His word, He's going to give His voice to the Lord's shout of command. But that's what Paul said was going to happen. And then He said with this, with the trump of God... Now understand this, that trumpets were used in the Bible for different reasons, many different reasons. For example, they would celebrate Israel's feast at certain times, or celebrations, or they would also sometimes sound alarm to get everybody to come together. Whatever the need was, those trumpets would sound, and all the people would assemble together. One of these days, I'm going to hear a voice like a trumpet, and it's going to say, come up hither. And I'm going up, ladies and gentlemen. That's what Paul is talking about here. Stop. I don't have this written down. But he's not talking about the trumpet judgments. Because that's tribulation. And we're out of here before the Antichrist shows up. Notice this. The dead in Christ shall rise first. So Paul reiterates that the dead saints will in no wise be inferior to those alive at the rapture. Their glorified bodies will join with their glorified souls to make them into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to have a body like his, whatever that's going to be like, and I sure hope maybe I'll have hair on my head. I don't know. We'll see. But I do know this, that 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, we're going to see him and we're going to be like him, whatever that is. I'm going to be like him. And I'm going to be happy about it. But notice this here. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Now, the word caught up there refers to a strong, irresistible act. It's where we get our term, it's where we get our word rapture from. Rapture is actually a Latin word. But here's what's interesting. If you want to take notes, I'm, going to, I'm not going to do this too fast, but you got to see this. Because the word that's translated caught up, this isn't the only place it shows up in the Bible, in the New Testament. In fact, it shows up many different times, but I'm just going to take four to show you because how this word shows up in different parts of the New Testament, it is not referring to the rapture, but it sure gives a picture of what the rapture is going to be. So let me give you one here. There are four of them. Number one, it's used in Acts chapter 8 in verse 39. In that passage there, the Ethiopian eunuch, he is reading the Scripture, he's been to Jerusalem, Religion left him empty. There was nothing that he had. And God said to Philip, by the Holy Spirit, go over there and join yourself that chariot and read to him the Scriptures. And he got up there and he's reading Isaiah 53. He says, you understand what you're reading? He said, I can't unless somebody explains it to him. And that Ethiopian unit got saved. And then he got baptized. And then the Bible makes this statement. Listen to this. Acts chapter 8, verse 39. The Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more. You know what that means? Caught away? It means suddenly he was caught away speedily. He disappeared. You know what's going to happen one of these days? 
millions of people on this planet are going to suddenly disappear. Quickly. Quickly. They're just not going to be here. That's how that word was used. It means to catch away speedily. Here's another way that word is used. It's used in John chapter 6, in verse number 15. And in John chapter 6, verse 15, Jesus has just fed 5,000 men, plus the women, plus the children, with the, the, the fishes and the, and the loaves uh, of bread there. And uh, because He fed all these people, I'm, I'm just telling you what takes place here in that passage, the people said, we found us a walking bread machine. Whoa! And here's what the Bible said they wanted to do. In John chapter 6 and verse 15, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take Him by force to make Him a king, He departed again into a mountain Himself alone. Jesus said, I won't be your king on your, per on your terms. But the, here's the phrase, to take him by force. It's the same word as caught up. It's just translated differently in our King James. But it's the same Greek word. They took him by force. And what does it mean? It means to seize by force. Ladies and gentlemen, one day there's going to be something laid on me that the grave and gravity can't keep. And I'm going up. And I am going to be seized. Now you're sitting here saying, now Brother Rocky, okay, I know what you're saying, but how's he going to know? How's he going to know who's his and who's not his? Okay? Let me give you an illustration. It's the best one I can come up with. If you were to go, everybody know what a salvage yard is? A salvage yard, that's where they have old cars and things like that. And sometimes they have a big magnet out there and they pick up those cars. Well, the reason that magnet can pick up an automobile is because... Uh, it's got the same nature or the same qualities. And the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, we're partakers of the divine nature. So when the Lord says, come up hither, because I've got Him living in me, He's going to catch me up because i got the same nature He does, just like a magnet does. It means to catch away speedily. Here's a third way that it's used. It's used this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Verse number 2, where the Bible says Paul was caught up to the third heaven. It means to move to a new place. One of these days I'm leaving planet earth and I'm going to a new place. Okay, I'm not going to a cabin in the sky. I'm going to be with Jesus. And he said, in my father's house are many mansions. And I'm just telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going wherever he's at. That's where I want to be because heaven wouldn't be heaven if Jesus wasn't there. And I'll just tell you this. Let me just... Launch out on this. I wouldn't want to go to heaven with all the streets of gold and all the mansions and everything that's there. If Jesus isn't there, it wouldn't be heaven. Because Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven. And so it means to move to a new place. But here's another way it's used. Listen to this. This is in Acts chapter 23, in verse number 10. Paul's in a mess here. He's got himself in a mess between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he said, I'm a Pharisee. And all of a sudden, they start trying to pull Paul apart. But notice this. Acts chapter 23, verse 10. The chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of, their, of, of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him, listen, by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. It means to rescue from danger. And therefore, I'm not looking forward to the Antichrist. I'm not looking to 666. I'm not looking for any of that stuff because I'm going to be rescued and I'm going to be rescued from danger. Because the time of tribulation, ladies and gentlemen, is not some place you want to be. 
Now, if you're sitting here this morning, maybe there's somebody sitting here this morning and saying, well, I'll tell you what, that'll be real easy, Harold. If the rapture comes and I'm not saved, then I'll know it's true and I'll believe. Well, let me tell you something. If you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ consciously, you understand that Jesus died, was buried, rose again. That's the only way you can get to heaven. And if you reject that, can I just tell you this? You won't be able to be saved. Try not to be sarcastic. Well, I read Tim LaHaye, and Tim LaHaye said, Tim LaHaye didn't read the Bible. I'm not trying to be ugly this morning, because 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, those that reject the gospel, God's going to send them strong delusion that they might believe a lie, that they might be damned. That's the Bible word. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you, I would, listen, if you don't know for certain you're on your way to heaven, and you know that you've rejected Jesus Christ, I'm telling you today is the day of salvation, because you can't wait. Because if you wait, you'll believe whatever the lie is. I have no clue what the lie is going to be. But whatever it is, people are going to buy into it. And they're going to say, whoa. Whatever comes up with. Now, I, I'm, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. Y'all, you have to do is just look around a little bit at the news media. And they're selling all kinds of stuff that ain't hidden so. And people buying it. How much more is it going to be when millions of people disappear from this planet? Is everybody listening? They all disappear, and somebody will come up with some story, and people are going to believe it. I'm just here to tell you, if you don't know you're saved, you need to make sure you're saved today. Because once you get in that time, it's too late. And notice when we're caught up, what's going to happen? Well, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, In a moment, the week of the night, the last trump, we're going to be changed, and my body's going to be changed. It's going to be like made into His glorious body. And what is going to happen? We're going to meet the Lord. Meet is like meeting a royal person, a very important person. And the most important person we could ever encounter is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mercy. That's great. It is. But there's one verse left and we're done. That's verse 18. And Paul says, wherefore. So anytime you say the word wherefore, what's it there for? Because he's referring back to everything he just mentioned here in this passage. And he says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So here's what comfort means. It means to aid. It means to help. It means to comfort. It, means, it needs to encourage. So if these great truths do not encourage us, pray tell me what will. Paul doesn't say that we should sell everything we got and go live on a mountain, sell our possessions till Jesus returns. He doesn't tell us that. He doesn't tell us we should give all our money away because the Lord's coming back. He doesn't tell us that. But I do tell you this, that the Lord wants us to take this knowledge and use it to cheer and comfort each other and to try to reach people that do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior because we need to be encouraged. We're on the winning side. The Lord's coming back. So, we know, we know the Lord is coming. But we don't know when He's coming back. So since we don't know what he, since we don't know when he's coming back, here's what we need to do: we need to pull out all the stops, and put the metal to the pedal, or the pedal to the metal, however that goes, and go full throttle for our Lord and Savior, because he could come back today. So here's the question: Will the rapture, if it were to happen today, and you're a child of God, will the rapture be an embarrassing? 
intrusion into your life? Or will it be a glorious climax of a life that's been lived for Him? Now I want you to think about that. Because here's what you don't want to do. You don't want it to be an embarrassing intrusion. You don't want it to be like the guy that this happened, I believe, in Dallas, Texas several years ago. It was kind of a cold morning and he went into a quick trip for uh, 7-Eleven. went in to get a cup of coffee. He left the keys to his car, his home, his office. He left that all and he left it in the car and left the car running. Went in, came back out. His car was gone. Man, I can't believe this. This is horrible. So he filed a police report and went to work, came back home, telling his wife, I can't believe somebody would do this. Got up the next morning, and there was his car in the driveway. It had been washed, waxed, vacuumed, and there was a nice little note in there that said, Sorry, I'm so, I'm, sir, I'm so sorry. I took your car yesterday, and uh, I, was in a ma- I was in need of emergency, and, and, and I, I just had to have it. But since there's no hard feelings... I'd washed and waxed your car, I vacuumed it, and I gave you two tickets to the Dallas Cowboys on the 50-yard line for this Sunday. Oh. <laughs> well, human nature was coming to an end. So he went to the game and he came home and his house was cleaned out. Now that was a surprise. Would you agree? You don't want to be living your life like that when Jesus comes. Because when Jesus comes, let's just make a little application here and I'm done. When Jesus comes, you want to be ready to meet Him. I, I have no doubt if you're saved today, you are ready to go to heaven. But the question is, are you ready to meet the Lord? And I would, I would submit to you today, you're not ready to meet the Lord if you're doing things in your life that you wouldn't want Brother Yoder to know you're doing. You wouldn't want to be looking at stuff on a box called a TV or an internet that you wouldn't want your pastor to know what you're looking at. You're not ready to meet the Lord. You would say, I'm not saying you're not saved. You're not ready to meet the Lord. Yeah, this is the Lord who got chaw in his mouth. I'd hate to be raptured out and have chaw in my mouth. I'd hate to be raptured out and have liquor in my refrigerator. Everybody listening to me? Because I may be saved, but I'm not ready to meet the Lord. I'd hate to be, listen to this, I'd hate to be raptured out of this world and have bitterness or hatred towards a brother or sister of Christ in my heart. I wouldn't want to meet the Lord that way. I'd hate to be raptured out of this world and meet the Lord knowing that I didn't, I, I left my tithe in the bank account and I didn't give it to the Lord. I'd hate to do that. Does everybody listen to me? I'd hate to be listening to the things of this world, whether it's the music of this world that's not Christian. I'd hate to be listening to that and the Lord call me home. Because I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, we are ready to meet the Lord if we're saved, but we're not ready to meet Him if we're not living the way we need to be. I would hate to meet the Lord and not told somebody about Jesus Christ. Is everybody with me? Because the Lord is coming back, and because He's coming back, here's what we need to do. We need to serve Him. We need to be not perfect, we just need to be right with Him. Because He is coming back, and when we stand in His presence, ladies and gentlemen, I certainly want to hear Him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not a perfect. I'm not perfect, far from it. But I want to hear Him say, You were faithful. You did well. I don't want to have to say, I saved you. 
And look at all this junk you've got in your life. Look at all this stuff that ought not to be there. I want to be ready to meet them. Maybe today, maybe the Spirit of God has spoken to you and maybe there's things in your life and heart that nobody knows about. They're sins of the heart or sins of the Spirit. And nobody sees it, but He knows it's there. I'm just telling you, whatever He speaks to you today, you need to take care of that. Because He could come today. And number two, if you're here and you don't know where you're going, you certainly need to take care of that today because you're not ready to meet the Lord. And He may come today. You want to be ready. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you so much for your kind attention to the Word of God this morning. And uh, I'm just going to ask you just a couple of questions and I'm going to turn over to Pastor Yoder for the invitation. But the most important thing I can ask you this morning is this. Do you know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior? I'm not asking if you're a member of this church or if you're a member of any church because that's not what's going to get you to heaven. You're not going to heaven because you've been baptized or you joined a church or you give money or you live a good life. You're going to heaven because you're a sinner saved by God's amazing grace. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wouldn't point you out. I wouldn't come down to you. I wouldn't embarrass you in any way. But just by an uplifted hand, you say, Brother Rocky, I'm here today and I'm not ready to meet the Lord because I'm not saved. I don't know Jesus Christ, my personal Savior. I just don't know that. I'm telling you, you're in a church filled with people that want you to know that today. That's why one of the reasons the New Testament church exists to tell people about Jesus Christ. And you say, Brother Rocky, I'm here today and I just don't know. Would you pray for me? My prayer won't save you. You're simply acknowledging I have a need today. I, I need to talk to someone about myself. I'd love to pray for you. Is there anybody like that at all this morning? God bless you. Is there anyone else? I'm going to pray for you. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. Number two, here's the second question this morning. You're here today. You're saved. You're born again. You're on your way to heaven. Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. Praise the Lord. But you know, between you and your Savior, you know things aren't right. You know there's some things that need to be confessed, repented of. And I'm just saying to you today, whether you come to an altar, whether you say in your seat, whatever you do, that's between you and God. It's not between you and me. I promise you. I'm just the messenger. But you'd say, Brother Rocky, I'm here today and God, God spoke. God, God, God really spoke to me about something in my life. And nobody knows about it, but you do, and you and God do. I'd love to pray for you. Just lift your hand up and hold it there for just a moment. Is there anyone like that at all today? And I'm looking around the room. Anyone on? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Well, let's stand together. I'm going to pray. If you raise your hand, you need to be saved. You'll meet the pastor. Someone will meet you down front. They'll take the Bible. They'll show you how you can know for certain you're saved. And if God spoke, calls for response. You do what God's Holy Spirit tells you to do. Father, thank You this morning for the Word of God. Thank You that there is an event called the rapture. And I'm looking forward to it. So Lord, I pray. I saw one hand. Maybe there was more, but I saw at least one. And they're just not sure about where they're going. Would You help them to step out let someone take a Bible and show them how they can be saved today? And then Lord, I saw other hands here. People that are saved. They're on their way to heaven. You've spoken to them. Would You please work in this invitation, would you accomplish your will, I do ask, in Jesus' name, amen.